Hi, my name's Cassandra, and I have the privilege of bringing you today's sermon reading. It's Matthew 7, 1 to 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Iconic passage, isn't it? Don't you love it? Uh, many years ago, I used this passage in a quick kids talk. And I thought I'll begin with a little exercise here, get an interaction going on. I'm not going to do it with all of us, or you might want to do it later over the morning tea. I just went like this. I said, get your finger out, read a point, okay? Now, start off by pointing at yourself and say, I am a sinner. And, and they all did it with appropriate humility. And then I said, now point your finger at someone else and say, you're a sinner. And they loved it. <laughs> Such delight. Both in pointing the finger and in saying the words, I think. Um, and yet, none of us like to be judged, but it's easy enough for all of us, I think, to be the one doing the judging. Um, sometimes judgmental attitudes surface in words, perhaps like these. You're so stupid. You're a failure and you always will be. You can't do anything right, and, and so on and so on, often with more colourful language. Um, so, so often pinpointing our own personal weaknesses and, and faults and, and sins. Um, have you ever received comments like that from someone? So, so hurtful. Perhaps someone at school or a, or a boss or uh, perhaps from a sibling or a, or a parent. Words like those and the attitude behind them brings so much pain. They can cause lifelong damage to the mental health and emotional well-being of another person. And when words like that ever come from a person who claims to be a Christian... They can turn people away from Christ and the church. So friends, we're all tempted to judge others. So, so let's ask God for help as we explore what this passage has to say. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we open your word now, please help us to be honest with ourselves and with you. And by your Holy Spirit, please enable us to understand your word and to obey wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the last chapter, Jesus dealt mostly with issues relating to our inner spiritual life. Things like our attitude to giving, to prayer, to fasting, trusting God for our daily needs and, and resisting the temptation to worry. Now he addresses important themes related to the way we think of and, and relate to others, the way we treat others. Verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. By that he means, don't be judgmental. Don't be nitpicky and fault-finding and critical in your heart and condemn people for their errors and their sins. It's not God's way for his people. Back in our, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, remember the, the, all the blesseds, the Beatitudes? Uh, verse 7 said uh, that we, um, we saw that, that mercy 
Mercy is the mark of the Christian, not judgment. Sometimes we're judgmental towards people because they're characterised by ungodly behaviours all the time. But sometimes we're judgmental towards them because of a single moment of sin, a falling from grace kind of moment, and we kind of just write them off. Jesus says in every case, we are not to be judgmental. Verse 2 kind of explains verse 1. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in these verses, Jesus is not saying, don't have any opinions about anything, about what's right or wrong. I mean, nearly all of the Sermon on the Mount is actually teaching us precisely what is right and wrong in so many different areas of life. Because then we can recognise it. Then we can teach it. Then we can live it ourselves. And we can encourage it in others. In fact, many Bible passages urge us to discern what is right and wrong in ourselves and in others and to take action. Verse 5, we'll look at it in a moment, is a good example of that. So Jesus is not saying that we're never to speak up about things like injustice, for example. He's not saying we can't oppose people who are doing wrong and harming others. Now, tragically, some people have so twisted this verse and just ripped it out of its context that they think, here, Jesus is commanding a universal acceptance of any lifestyle and any teaching. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's, that's not the case at all. The Christian, the Christian is called to show unconditional love, but not unconditional approval. In these verses, Jesus is warning us not to look down on others and write them off as though their attitude or behaviour or lifestyle somehow makes them less valuable as a person or out of reach of God's grace and power to forgive and heal and change. Let me say that again. Jesus is not... Jesus is warning us not to look down on others, to write them off, as though their attitudes, behavioural lifestyle makes them less valuable as a person or somehow out of reach of his grace and his power to love and forgive and heal and change them. We break this command when we think the worst of others. We break this command when we only speak to others of their faults all the time. We break this command when we judge an entire life by only its worst moments. We break this command when we judge the motives of others. We simply cannot see the heart. Only God can see. We break this command when we judge others with a different standard to ourselves. <coughs> as Jesus illustrates so beautifully in this uh, passage. We break this command when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves will be judged. Now, verses 1 and 2, uh, they're actually expressed as a kind of proverbial truth. In other words, this is how things normally play out. If we're critical and judgmental of others, they'll be critical and judgmental of us. 
In fact, some people take great delight in highlighting the slightest error in Christians. Ever, ever had that? Haven't? No. Uh, and they love using the label hypocrite if they can. Um, perhaps you've experienced that. But let's be clear. The, the real hypocrite is not the person who makes mistakes, but the person who is blind to their mistakes while pointing out everyone else's mistakes. That's the hypocrite. These verses affirm that biblical idea idea that we reap what we sow. We see this in so many areas of life, including how we judge others. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. We prayed it together a moment ago. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What a stark reminder that how we treat others impacts how God will treat us. God will measure to us according to the measure we use for others. Another powerful motivation for us to be generous with our love, forgiving, good to others. If we want more of those things from God, we should give more of those things in our treatment of others. A few weeks ago, uh, I said how easily sin sneaks into our best efforts. To live for God. And I think that's why Jesus has introduced this warning about being judgmental at this point. I mean, imagine uh, you've been listening to the messages over the last few weeks and are earnestly trying to obey Jesus. And you've sensed God's delight as you've secretly honoured him in giving and prayer and perhaps even fasting. And uh, maybe you've had the joy of seeing some prayers answered. How awesome is that? Haven't told anyone else, just God, and you've seen an answer to prayer. Fantastic. And um, you've been trying to trust him for daily needs and, and making sure that your faith isn't crippled by worry. And then as you reflect on your, your disciplined effort to honour God and obey him, it's easy to look around at others be pretty critical. Not to judge them in our hearts, condemn them with our words. Sometimes we can be so proud about our efforts to obey Jesus that we think our our good deeds have actually earned some brownie points in his eyes. He kind of likes us a bit more now. We're tempted to devalue others or consider them inferior to ourselves. And sometimes we we use harsh words or, or sarcasm to kind of tear others down just to make ourselves look and feel better. Or worse, we focus so much on the sins of others that we're completely blind to our own sin. So in verses 3 to 4, Jesus acts out, uh, tells rather one of the funniest illustrations of the Bible, and I just, I just love it, I just had to. So, you know, just for those who really like a visual aid, you know, uh, imagine someone with a bit of tuba two stuck in their eye, like, and, Tom, can you come out here? You probably can't say, come out the front here. You probably can't. Tom's got a speck in his eye, right? Mate, mate, let me, let me kind of get the, oh, oh, let me kind of get this speck out of your eye. It's laughable, isn't it? It's such a funny story. I got my hands in my pockets because I got splinters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in his fingers, not his eyes. Yeah, no, I couldn't see clearly. Um, it's such a funny story. It's so good. And um, But the, the thing is, that old plank eye, plank eye is so focused on the other person's little problem 
that they are completely blind to this big, whopping, obvious fault that everyone else can see except themselves. This is laughable. And yet we, we do it sometimes, don't we? We do it with our parents as children. We do it with our children as parents. We do it in all kinds of relationships. As a classic description, I think, of, of what it means to be a hypocrite. But look at verse 5 carefully on the screen. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Note that Jesus is not ruling out judgment altogether here. Verse 5, in fact, makes it very clear that we are supposed to be exercising wise judgment about each other and taking action to help each other. When I was in primary school, I was chopping wood one morning and a splinter flicked up in my eye. It really hurt, really hurt. I actually, yeah. Uh, had to had to get it removed, and um, I was really grateful to the person who removed it. I was actually not an optometrist, but but the removal hurt as well. Um, pretty nasty, a bit more than just a speck that one. Um, but they could see clearly. In fact, they had those you know, fancy little goggly things on as well. Uh, they could see really clearly to do the job properly. Verse five is saying uh, that we that that's what we are to do for one another in relation to our behaviour as God's people. As long as we're not being hypocrites and ignoring our own faults. First, take the log out. And then, you can remove the speck. We're supposed to be seeking holy lives one another. And it's your job to help me recognise this sin in my life, especially uh, if my behaviour suggests I can't see it myself. A loving friend does that, helps each other in that way. It's an act of brotherly kindness to help each other clear out the cobwebs of sin that hold us back from shining Christ's light in the world. The condition this passage places uh, on, on pointing out faults in others is that we make sure we are also working on identifying and removing our own sin as well. And uh, we need to begin with, notice put these things on the screen, we need to begin with personal repentance. Uh, Tom, I was encouraged by what you were saying about the Lord's Prayer. Praying through the Lord's Prayer and really just meditating on it. Asking God to highlight areas in our own life before correcting someone else of a particular sin, of asking God the question, Lord, am I guilty of this same sin? Where am I at fault? And, and letting him, by his spirit, clean our own heart and life up. Secondly, having done that, proceed with great humility and gentleness as we speak words of rebuke or correction with encouragement. And thirdly, little verse in the book of Jude just reminds us, we need a determination not to be caught in the same sins. We're all vulnerable to different sins, but if you're speaking to someone about a sin that you know personally you're particularly vulnerable to, we need to be so careful that in helping someone else, 
we don't fall into the same sins. And then verse 6. I mean, first sight, verse 6 seems to have no connection to anything. Dogs, pigs, pearls, it's just weird, isn't it? Uh, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If they do, they may trample them under their feet and tear, turn and tear you to pieces. It's kind of like he's been cut and pasted in the wrong document. Now, I rarely do this, but when you come across a verse and you're like, what on earth is going on here? And you, you read different books and there's, actually there's, there's different, uh, different interpretations. Um, the things in the Bible that are really plain, they're the main thing. And the main things are the plain things. Um, when you come across a verse like this, I think we need to, to work hard, pray for discernment, and, um, and try and understand it rightly. Um, but at the same time, not hold on to whatever position you end up with, like it is just a central truth of the gospel, right? So what I'm going to do with this verse is something I very, very rarely do. Uh, what I want to do is give you three different interpretations of this one verse. I'm going to let you make up your own mind. I think one of them is more helpful, but here we go. The first inter interpretation picks up the immediate context of the hypocrite with a plank in their eye who, who hasn't recognised their own sin and kind of turns it around and says, offering pearls of wisdom or correction to a hypocrite will not work until they've removed their own plank. In fact, they may be so blind to their plank and offended by your concern that they retaliate and verbally tear you to pieces. That happens. Actually, it does happen, doesn't it? That's the thing. It kind of makes sense. Don't correct a hypocrite. That's the first point. But is that what Jesus was teaching here at this point? Not trying to correct a hypocrite. Because didn't he do that? He often confronted the hypocrites. A second interpretation equates the pearl or sacred item with the good news of the gospel. Dogs and pigs were terms used at the time to refer to Samaritans and to Gentiles respectively. So in verses 1 to 5 we're told not to be judgmental toward others but, have, but, but having no discernment at all could lead us to unnecessary trouble when sharing the gospel. You know, as we share the pearls of the gospel... Some people would delight in the good news and accept Christ as Lord. That's what we pray for. But there are some who, for whatever reason, on hearing the gospel, will not only trample on the message, but tear apart the messenger. That's what verse 6 is about. For example, Jesus told his disciples to go only to the towns of Israel and leave unwelcoming towns by shaking the dust off their feet as a warning. Remember that one? Uh, to persevere would have been unfruitful. I think Paul illustrates this in Ephesus when he ignored the pleading of his friends and spoke, tried to keep preaching gospel to the angry mob and they, they nearly tore him apart, literally. So in verse 6, Jesus encourages us to be discerning. Don't always share the gospel because some situations are unfruitful, even dangerous, just to launch into a conversation about the gospel. Live it always. And speak it when it's fruitful. The second one. Well, this is uh, probably the most common view that I've, I've come across reading around. Um, it's very pragmatic. And there's biblical examples that seem to fit. But Jesus clearly wants the wonderful news of the gospel to go to 
all the world, not just Israel. Uh, and this view, in my opinion, places us in danger of disobeying verses 1 to 5, of being judgmental and deciding ourselves who is going to respond positively to the gospel. Oh, I don't think that one's going to respond positively. Not going to share the news about Jesus with them. Now, when it comes to sharing the good news, we're to let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. The point is, we don't know how people will respond. Like the sower, we're to cast the seed of the gospel to all people. Only God knows what type of soil it will land on. So, the third, and I think the most helpful way of looking at this verse is to see it in the context of the whole Sermon on the Mount rather than just verses 1 to 5. And the whole Sermon on the Mount, and some people have made this observation, um, is addressing the morality and behaviour of the person who belongs to the kingdom. It focuses not on how to enter the kingdom, but on how to live as one who has already entered the kingdom. To put another way, it focuses not on salvation, but on Christian behaviour. In verse 6, Jesus tells us not to force the pearls of godly morality and behaviour upon dogs and pigs. Anyone that's outside God's family, unbelievers. That mistake, can I say, has been made many times through history. You cannot legislate Christian behaviour for someone who has not heard of Christ or someone who has actively rejected Christ. They have a completely different understanding and attitude towards God. It results in either arrogance because they think they're actually a really good person already, or rebellion because they don't want to be associated with God or the church or anything to do with Jesus. Or despair because as you talk about godly morality, they know they'll never measure up. It just crushes them. If all we do is present a moral code without the gospel, unbelievers often arc up. And as soon as they call us judgmental hypocrites. Exactly what Jesus warned against in verses 1 to 5. A person who has set their heart against God will ultimately treat us as they treated Jesus, and they crucified him. So, don't waste your time speaking to unbelievers of godly morality and behaviour. Don't try to take that speck of sin out of their eye, because there's something far more important they need first. It's the only thing worth giving them. It's the one thing that will change them. And it's the message that stands behind our morality and our behaviour as God's people. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. The good news of forgiveness and new life that can be found in Jesus. The third interpretation says, don't preach morality to unbelievers. Share the gospel. Give them the gospel because that's what they truly need to hear. Then they'll have the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit renewing their minds through his word and transforming their morality and behaviour with his power as they live as a child 
of God's kingdom. There you go. Three different views. I'll leave it up to you uh, to make sense of verse 6. Um, I found it helpful just trying to make sense of it myself this week. And I hope uh, something in what I've shared has been helpful. In this passage as a whole, Jesus tells us to be discerning about the spiritual state of other people. He encourages that. The unbeliever needs the gospel. While our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can teach, we can encourage, we can correct and rebuke them to live, a manner, uh, to live in a manner worthy of the kingdom they already belong to, as long as we're careful to remove the log from our own eye first. 